Citizens of Natstown is brought to you by the Ballpark Bus, with departure stations at Clyde's and Ashburn, Glory Days in Reston and Herndon, the Green Turtle in Ballston, Sterling, and Dulles, and Velocity 5 in Centerville. When you don't want to drive to the ballpark, leave the driving to us. Take the Ballpark Bus. Visit www.ballparkbus.com for more information or on Twitter at at ballparkbus. Hello, Natstown. Welcome to uh, Citizens of Natstown. And uh, all right, let's get right to it. Uh, you got TJ Landermeyer here, and I'm David Hazard. Uh, Matt sends his regards. He is in Milwaukee on business. Yeah, we uh, we may hear from him later. Uh, odds are slim, but we'll uh, we'll see about that. All right. So um, <clears throat> to start it out, we uh, we have a new a new marketing campaign, actually several new marketing campaigns. The the first one being from uh, the Washington Nationals. They want you, the fan, to ignite your natitude. You know, I think the most important thing to realize about marketing slogans for professional sports teams is they're all terrible and they can never win. This is uh, it's better than expected. Expect it just set the Nationals up for mockery right from the beginning. It's hard to mock an attitude as anything but a bad marketing slogan. A bad pun. <laughs> yeah. go there. I mean, uh, I like it. it. First off, it's definitely better than, than expected. All expected, and you're right. It, it set us up for any time the slightest thing went wrong last year, it was expect it. Yeah, and I mean, granted, the the jokes can come this year as well. They definitely can. I mean, really, with just about anything that you put out there, you can you can mock it in some way or another. But uh, <clears throat> I kind of dig it. I mean, it's it's not it's not expected. It's not you know trying to. Uh, it's not the the get your red on that kind of felt like it was taking from the caps with rock the red and. I mean, it kind of feels like their own thing, but it feels. They had Nationals had two marketing slogans that I I liked. The last year of RFK, they had the Pledge Your Allegiance one. I yeah. did like that one. That was a good one. And then Welcome Home when they came to the new park. I, yeah, that was the, both those were were pretty good, pretty fitting the the circumstances of where the team was at the time. And now the attitude, I see where they're going. They're trying to say this is a young team. They're ready to, to show the world what they're made of, and they just have a different attitude about them. The new, you know, this is the year the Nationals are turning it around. They're gonna, you know, show people that they can believe in in them, and they're gonna fight to the final out, and they're gonna be the team that that just is gonna sneak up on you. And I don't know how much sneaking up they're gonna do. It's like last year when. Every single beat writer picked the Oakland A's to be their dark horse team. Is the team really a dark horse if every single person picks them to be a dark horse? Uh, for that record, I really hope we're not the 
the beat writer favorite dark horse because that always turns out poorly. It you does. always turn out to flop on your face when you're that, you know, these guys are sneaky good. And it's, I Let me just say, I, I hope we're, we're not that team right now. I hope they pick the Marlins. <clears throat> you know, that's just... I'm down with that. Yeah. All right. Um, so we've got the, the Natitude, and I like it. Uh, we... <laughs> We also have 1067 giving us the uh, the the FU Philly. <laughs> I I don't know if we really want to want to want to poke that bear right now. Those are, I mean, you, you know, it's one thing what the Nationals are doing where they're, you know, catering to their own fans. This is something that they've owed us for a while. Uh, if you were at Opening Day in 2010, it was pretty miserable. I mean, the game was bad. They lost 11-1, to 1, I think. Something just awful like that. And you had Phillies fans in the stands and an overwhelming force mocking Nationals fans throughout the game. It was not a fun day to be in your own park. That was the first year with Doc, right? Yes, that oh, was, that was that his was first there. game. That was, yeah, that was an ugly game. Yeah, it was not pretty in any sense of the imagination. And, you know, Phillies fans are just different. There's good Phillies fans out there. I don't want the good ones to think I'm saying anything bad about them by lumping them into this group. I'm separating them. They're not being mentioned anymore. They're over here. The bad Phillies fans, though, are really bad. The Nationals, D.C. is a transient area. You've got a lot of people that that, that live here that grew up someplace else. And even if they didn't grow up someplace else, their parents did, and they still were raised as cheering for that team. Like the Cubs. I've, I've been to a lot of Cubs Nationals games where there's a, a lot of Cubs fans. But it's never the same as with the Phillies game. And it's, I think it's good that the Nationals are trying to make their own fans comfortable. But the W JFK, whatever they call themselves now, the fan, that thing, I can see it backfiring because – you know, the FU Philly, that's it sounds well, it sounds like something Philly would do. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I mean I'm I'm torn because I we've wanted so long for the Nats to um I mean in so many words have some balls when it came to, you know, we're this is our this is our stadium this is our house it's our territory i mean (laughs) we've come a long way from stan cast and advertising to hey phillies fans come see us we got seats we got tickets they're cheap you can come fill our park we'll take your money i I mean i i wanted to go away from that but I, i i don't know that this is the direction we need to go this is like becoming your enemy to defeat your enemy it's a sound strategy in guerrilla warfare but in uh, you know, <laughs> the idea of of defending a baseball stadium, I don't know if we want to really entice uh, the Philly, the angry mob, any more <clears throat> than they are already incensed by you know what they feel. They feel they have a right to invade the park, and the Nationals said no. Even a, you know, U.S. senator said well, it's our right to go down down there and invade your stadium. Not. Uh, but they can feel that way, and they feel slighted. And 
Philly is a town that, that feels slighted by a lot of things, mainly that they're not New York. Uh, and that they're in Philly. I mean, come on. Yeah, they're close to South Jersey. I think that's it. They're right <laughs> in the, Camden, New Jersey is right across the river. they got to wake up and look at that every day. That's like waking up to a fat wife every day. No offense <laughs> to people out there with fat wives. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely see it. I mean, yeah, I I mean, I guess the bottom line is this probably isn't the way to go. The the protect the park or what what is the one that we have? Take back the park. Take back the park. There it is. That we we were allowing Nats fans to buy tickets beforehand. Um I don't really see what the issue is there. I mean, we had uh the Caps did it when the Penguins were in town and it was genius. But the Nats do it, and they get they get shelled for it. But I mean, I think that's more the route you want to go. You want to cater to your fans, but not not alienate or stoke the fires of another fan base. Right. At the same time. And you want what you want is you want the Phillies fans to come down and and act like uh, Crash Burn Alley over Crossing Broad. You want to keep the Crossing Broad people out, but invite the Crash Burn Alley people in. Behind that. That's really what you want. You want the good, smart, intelligent Philly fans that think that the Ryan Howard contract is the worst thing on earth. You don't want the South Jersey scumbags that call into radio and shows say, Ryan Howard, he has 40 bombs. He's worth every penny they pay. That is not a South Jersey accent at all. <laughs> <laughs> and that actually was pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's move on. We've We've got a couple of games under our belt now. Um, a couple that the offensive looked pretty good. The couple that the pitching has looked fantastic, including today. Uh, granted, it was the Astros, but I mean, giving up three hits. Uh, was there a walk given up? I don't know. Let me pull up the box score. I went away from that to see if the Washington Post had written anything about the Nationals. Uh, they had. The Washington Post does a great job, unlike you know the flagship station. But um. But, I mean, Edwin looked great. I know he didn't walk anybody. Um, Detweiler threw three perfect innings. Man, he's got to be pressing in for that fifth spot. He has to. But I mean, we haven't seen Wong yet whatsoever. In a major league game, he's pitching against minor leaguers. Yeah, and he got hit around. Yeah, well, I mean, yes. Uh, So, Detweiler has improved his chances. And Landon looked good the other day, but he looked like Landon. I mean, Detweiler was just overpowered. Well, that's that's the biggest thing I think he has going for him is he his ceiling is so much higher than Landon. Landon is consistent. He's a between three six and four three ERA. Um, obviously, he's not going to strike out really anyone. I think his K per nine is uh, right about four, maybe even a little less than that. I think it's right about four, but. Um... You know, I pulled up the box score. They uh, walks. Let's see here. The Astros had no walks, but the Astros are still the Astros. Here's their starting lineup, and if you recognize any of these names, that's because it's Carlos Lee. But other than that, they had Shuck leading off, playing center field. M. Gonzalez playing shortstop. Snyder right field. Carlos Lee at first base. Fernando Martinez, left field. Chris Johnson, third base. 
J.A. Castro uh, at D.H., Snyder, another Snyder, playing catcher, and uh, Dioris Hernandez playing second base. So out of that, I recognize a Braves cast-off, a couple cast-offs from some other teams, and, you know, the Astros did travel today, but they... Hey, 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 know. hang on. I yeah. see Brian Bixler there. He, he, he came in. <laughs> yes. Yes, the Bixinator was the key to winning for the Nationals last year. But yeah, it's odd that he made an appearance and the team didn't win. Normally when he makes an appearance, it's because he's a defensive replacement in the ninth inning and the team's about to win. Yeah. Well, it's spring training. I mean, got to get the kinks out, right? Even yeah. from managing. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so the pitchings look good. I Again, I, I think Detweiler, uh, if he continues with what he's doing, the fifth spot is his. I, I like that if he can – Live up to his potential. His, his, he's a power lefty. That gives you a rotation of three power righties and two power lefties. And there was a time when people were people were getting on Rizzo for liking pitch-to-contact guys too much. I don't know if that was really Rizzo liked him or they, they were the only guys available to the Nationals. I, I think it's more the latter. Uh, I mean, if you have the option, you're you're going to choose power over – you know, soft Jason tossing. Martin. Yeah. Oh, Dallas Perez. <clears throat> Actually, I don't even know that. That was that was Bowden, I think. But yeah, either was... way, it's come a long way for the Nationals. I really would like to have the two power lefties and three power righties. That would be a tremendous rotation all the way through. And then you have the bullpen. The bullpen has looked fantastic, uh, especially today. Uh, Hot Rod. Everything I've read about his uh, his uh, spot today was fantastic. Yeah, and Perry looks has looked good, and everyone's looked good. It's just no. Well, the only guy that hasn't looked good is Gorzolani. Which again, you look at it, and that's another guy that Detweiler's threat threatening. They could give Detweiler that six starter, uh, swingman job to start the season over Gorzolani, uh, and then just. When an injury happens, it's gonna happen. He just slides right in. I don't know. I just. I mean, obviously they're not. Regardless of Lannon having an option, there's not an option there. He's not starting at AAA. That's so. That's true. I mean, the the more likely scenario is is he's moved. Yeah, and they talked to the Astros about. Uh, Bourgeois, who, well, he's their fourth outfielder. He is the Astros' fourth outfielder. And that, well, being the Astros' fourth outfielder is really not a badge of honor, but he can run it down in center field. He's much better defensively than anything the Nationals have. And, you know, someone has to bat ninth or eighth in the National League, unless Jim Riggleman's coming back. But, uh, you know, just think the Nationals have too many guys that should be batting eighth. If they're going to have Bourgeois out there, I think Ian Desmond and Danny Espinosa are fine as long as you have someone else that can lead off, which the Nationals currently don't have. But if you get another guy, you want someone that can lead off so you can move those two down in the order where they fit in better. 
you're not in the camp that Desmond can hold the ground until we get somebody that can lead off. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of teams that have bad leadoff hitters. And, and I just I look at Desmond and I see more than what other people see. But I don't think he's ever going to be more than a serviceable major league shortstop. I agree. I, I don't think he's going to be the the superstar, but I don't think he he deserves excuse me the uh, the hate that he gets. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I just I'm starting to think the more I look at Danny Espinosa and Ian Desmond. And Lombardozzi bulked up, and you know, and Rendon is—they're putting him in the in the middle infield. He's played a couple innings at shortstop. No, and they, I just—I I think maybe that's the middle infield of the future. They have said that Rendon is going to play third base this year, though. In the minors with his bat, um, I think that's the best decision. Let him concentrate at the plate, learn how to hit. In as a professional, then move them around the diamond. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a point, is that switching positions among the infield, when he's already played it in spring training, he's played it some... No, he played third base in college, correct? Yes. He didn't play... He played it exclusively. He played third base DH in first base. Okay. So, I mean, it appears so far that he can at least play it. So if we could move him to second... That's not a bad thing. Uh, we we might get pitchforks, you know, and the torches out on us for, you know, insinuating that Espinosa may not be part of the future. But I mean, Espinosa, I like Espinosa. I don't want people think I don't like the, the the player, but he's just he just batting and watching him bat when he is struggling. It's not fun to watch because he's missing everything and he's swinging at bad pitches. And he's he's an artist in the field with the glove at second base, but at the plate it's just a lot to be desired there. I go back, we uh we actually talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I really think he needs to pick a side of the plate. I don't think he needs to try this switch hitting uh I mean experiment is what it is right now and I, I don't think he needs to continue. I think he needs to focus on uh standing from one side of the plate focus on hitting from that side, and just go with it. There's not a lot of switch hitters left in baseball. There really aren't. I mean, you know, Chipper Jones is probably going to retire as one of the best ever. Um, and who else? I mean, it's hard to think of another real famous switch hitter right now. There's got to be one. I'm just I mean, thinking yeah, there's got to be one off the top of my head, Dave. Yeah, you think and I'm sure there's someone yelling at their screen right now <laughs> that we're missing somebody. Uh, but, uh, yeah, not off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, Christian Guzman was a switch hitter. Hey. <laughs> Guzzi, back in the – well, back playing for a job. So. Yeah, he's with the Indians. <laughs> Acta will give him one. Manny Acta, get the game back together. Anyways, so <clears throat> we've uh, – We've covered that Espinosa may not be the man we thought he was. Uh, well, at least in my mind. I mean, you know, I, I like to be proven wrong about things like that uh, because, you know, I don't really uh, care who the individual players are on the field. They're wearing a Washington Nationals jersey. I'm going to cheer for him. And, you know, I like Espinosa. He had a lot of good moments last year. 
His defense is great. I like his power. I like when he bats against Cliff Lee. But there's just times when I look at him, and he has that low batting average, and that leads to low on-base percentage. And, you know, it's just, can the power make up for it? The power and the defense make up for all that when maybe a Lombardozzi or Rendon could be better. Now, granted, all it takes, it takes one good year, and we, we kind of we put these fears off for a little bit. But speaking of which, uh, somebody who uh, is in much more of a dire situation than Espinoza as far as making the squad in his future with the organization. Bernardino? Exactly. The uh, the shark. I, I, you know, watching these, uh, if I was to pick the bench right now, if I was to pick the bench, you're going to have a five-man bench. Um, and one of those spots is obviously going to be backup catcher. And that's going to be Jesus Flores. Then you need, and then you have DeRosa, who signed a major league contract. And, you know, it depends on what happens with Harper. I don't think he's going to make the major league team. So you're going to probably have to have another backup infielder and then two outfielders. Mm -hmm. So you're probably going to end up, uh, you know, Martin hasn't looked that great in spring. Uh, Blanco is hurt right now, but he's a defensive uh, wizard. So I think they take Blanco. I've heard some, some great things about Blanco so far. During yeah. the, uh, the preseason. Yes. And um, then the two that have looked good are Brett Carroll and Jason Michaels. Those two have looked fairly good. Now, if if Harper is taken with a team, one of those spots is going to go to Ankeel. Well, I think we should just rule it out. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be a, a negative person, but the fact is, I mean, even as, as Zuckerman told us a couple of weeks ago, 21 days in the minors is all he needs. It's not even the financial side. It is the fact that we can have him for an extra year, period. It's not that we're getting an extra year of being cheap and be able, being able to push off uh, arbitration. Uh, Super 2 would still apply to him, but we'd get him for another year. And I think they are uh, – I think they're crazy – if they don't hold them off for 21 days uh, I, at the minimum. I agree with you on that because I'd rather have the additional year of Harper when he's in his prime than the additional 21 days when he's 19 years old. Yeah. Because I just don't think, you know, I don't think the Nationals are that close. I, it, the only way you bring up Harper is if those 21 days, if you're going to get more wins in there that guarantee, guarantee, that you're going to win your division and be a favorite for the World Series. Not just you might make the play. And, I mean, even with Harper right now, I see them at, I mean, I'd probably go with 86 wins right about. Uh, you get into that territory, things, uh, a couple of games go your way, you're at the 88-89, and you're right there at the, the wild card spot. Um, but... I, I don't think that's enough incentive to uh, – I don't think a one-game playoff is enough incentive to waste an entire year of him down the road. I agree. So right now we're looking at a bench of – if I had to pick it right now, it would be Flores, DeRosa, Carroll, Michaels, 
and Blanca. I can't really argue. I I like the shark, but I mean, I I think he's going to have to he's going to really have to prove himself to uh, to make this team. Actually, let's let's table this topic for just a couple more minutes. We've actually got Bill Ladson coming on up here at uh, 8:30, so. Uh, We'll keep going with topics. We'll actually bring this back up with Bill and see what he thinks here in a couple minutes. Uh, Yeah, well, um, you know, so what topic are we going to talk about now? Well, let's look around the rest of the diamond. I mean, first base, assuming Adam LaRoche can ever find the field, is his. Um, The the infield is set. I mean, catcher, you, you go to the outfield. Obviously, Morse and Worth are going to be some combination out there. Morse is going to be in left field. That's not a question. That's locked. So you have Worth. He can he can play center. I actually I actually kind of liked him better in center than I did Ankeel. Um, is Ankeel just a just a stopgap until we get to said you know month or two down the road when I, I think he, Harper? I think he is, but he can go to the bench. He's he has power. From the left side, he is his platoon spirits are very uh, heavy, so he is a guy that can come off the bench and get that key home run for you late in the ball game. And you know, I I like Worth in center field. You know, people look at big center fielders that position themselves well, and they just see you know they they, they forget about the positioning themselves well part, and they just see a big guy that's sort of you know not really gliding like Carlos Beltran did in his prime or, you know, Edmonds did in his prime. They see a guy just sort of, you know, making it kind of not look that easy, but they're positioned well. I mean, people need to think back to a player like Andy Van Slyke. He was always in the right place. He didn't make the, the, the tremendous diving catches. He didn't make the athletic jumping over the wall plays, but he was just because he didn't need to. He was just in the right place at the right time. He's a very cerebral center fielder, and that's how Worth is as a center fielder. I agree. I mean, he's not flashy, but he he gets the job done. I don't think he can play center field long term. I think he's got center field this year. Maybe next year we'll have to see how the 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 physical decline is, or if he's or if he's relegated to a corner next year. Well, you have to remember that the Phillies put him in right field. Because they had Shane Victorino in center field. That's true. They didn't need him to play mm-hmm. center field. And when Shane Victorino was hurt for most of the season, for, well, a good chunk of the season in 2010, Worth filled in in center field for the Phillies, and no one even realized the difference. I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> well, a name we were actually tossing around before the before the show started, uh, Gary Perez. I mean, uh, a single-A guy has looked decent with the bat so far. Well, he's hitting 444. Okay, more than – I mean, granted, it's it's five games, so hold your horses and, here, And people. the three have been against the Astros and one against the Mets. So they've only played two major league clubs, the Braves and the Cardinals. So, I mean, it's competition that Fred is used to. So, you know, but he's looked good. And he's a single-A guy. He struggled mightily for the first half of the season, but then he really 
he turned around the second half, and you'd have to think he's going to double A. But his competition in center field right now is precisely nobody. Uh, you're right. He is. It is wide open if he somehow got his bat, not even to stay where it is. If he hit a solid 280. I mean, once a player gets to double A, they're in the home stretch to making a team. All they got to do is have, you know, two hot months in double A, then two or three hot months in in um triple A. They get a September call up. They come up and they look like Espinosa did, like Desmond did, and they've just put themselves in the starting lineup for the following year. That's all it takes. They're that close. Well, and I'm looking at it here. I'm looking at his stats. He's, uh, <clears throat> I mean, first off, uh, 2010, 64 stolen bases. And then we've got in 2011, in 20 less games, 45 stolen bases. So, I mean. That's something that the Nationals really don't have. That no. That, prolific base defense. Yeah. I mean, those guys are kind of a dying breed in all of baseball. Actually, let's uh, let's hold on to this as well. We're going to take a quick break here, and uh, we will back, be back on the other side of it with uh, Bill Ladson. We'll talk Yuri Perez. We will talk the Shark or Speed Racer. And, well, why don't uh, we just call him Roger Bernardino? Right? <laughs> we'll uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. We'll be right back next time. All right, well, we here. All right, we're back, Natstown, and uh, let's uh, let's get Bill Ladson on the line here. Hang on one second. Hey, Bill. Uh, this yes. is the Citizens of Nastown podcast. This is uh, David Huzzard here with uh, TJ Landermeyer. How's it going, guys? Uh, it's going good. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. All right. Well, first off, uh, thanks for coming on with us. And uh, actually, thanks for uh, – we, we speak about this a lot. Uh, thanks for being a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a good sport, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Lost my train of thought. Thanks for being a good sport with uh, the fans here. I mean, you you see a lot of uh, a lot of the sports riders that get kind of up on their high horse when uh, you have fans that decide that they know more than you do or decide to give you a hard time. And I'd say right. I, I have given you my share of hard time. So uh, thanks for getting, being a good sport with us. No problem. No problem at all. All right. Well, um First off, I mean, we were we were talking uh, Roger Bernardino as we came into the break. Uh, how's he looking so far? Roger's looking real great. Um, he's doing something he hasn't done in really the last two years. He's uh, hitting the all fields um, instead of going for the long ball. He's trying to get base hits to left, trying to get base hits to center. Um, he looks more patient at the plate, um, and that's something he should have done, especially last year. And uh, as you know, he went to the minor leagues because of his, because of his uh, inconsistencies. And um, even defensively, uh, he's looking great. And Davey Johnson has decided to give him another chance in center field. So it's good to see that Roger is um, is working hard and getting another chance. Good. Good deal. Uh, we also um, – well, you know, we were talking about – what we were talking about Roger with is, you know, Jason Michaels and – Brett Carroll have both looked pretty good, and and those three guys are gunning for the same uh, bench spots. Right. So out of those, who would you pick right now to be your two outfielders on the bench? 
Well, if I had to, um, based on what the way David Johnson's talking, I think without question, Britt Carroll, the way he's playing, it would make this team. Now, by the end of the spring, that could change. But right now, um, it looks like Brett Carroll is really being aggressive um, at the plate. Um, he admitted to me today that he was maybe a little too short, uh, you know, with his swing and uh, just trying to <clears throat> hit bloopers and all that to right field. But he's really looked aggressive, and his defense has really impressed Davey Johnson. So um, I would say him. And I would also say right now Bernadine as well. Um, even though um, Bernadine has a lot to prove, I, I think he has a good chance only because of the way uh, he's worked hard and the way he's, you know, hit the ball all over the place. Right. Um, there's another outfielder that's, that's sort of, I don't want to say come out of nowhere because we've heard the name because he's been a top prospect in the Nationals organization for a while. But Yuri Perez has really been turning some heads lately. Yes, he has. In fact, you know, the way he was playing, I did ask Davey Johnson, I said, uh, does he have a chance to make this team? And the answer is no. Um, it doesn't matter what he does. But I'll tell you this, though. He really has impressed uh, some people. And if he can have a good season this summer in the minor leagues, you know, i tell you, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a call up uh, in September or even sometime next year. So, um He's really enhanced his, uh, you know, his his place on this team. Okay, well, that's good to know that. Uh, regardless of, I mean, uh, I mean, everyone can change their mind. If he if he has an absurd spring, he may do something. But it's good to know that almost regardless of what he does, he's uh, he's not an option for this year or for the start of the year at least. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, you know, obviously he, you know, the highs he's gone is like a Potomac. So I'm sure he'll probably get a chance to participate in Double A Harrisburg if he does well there. I'm sure he'll um, be promoted to play uh, Syracuse. So hopefully, I think he'll go well. Okay. Well, we talked about Carroll making it. Uh, do you see N. Keel uh, making his way onto this team? I mean, if if Bernardino really has his shot at center, obviously Worth moves back to right and Morse is in. Is in left. Do you, is in Keel the the guy on the bench? I would say he he has a good chance, but um, I think Ann Keel. The thing with him is he's going to have to hit. I mean, he did a great job defensively last year, and he wasn't that bad during the second half uh, at the plate either. I think he's going to have to show that he can hit on a more consistent basis. Uh, you know, Davey Johnson has said often that Ann Keel looks more relaxed at the plate. And uh, hopefully he can keep that up. He hit a home run a couple of days ago. And if he can keep hitting, um, I think there's a good chance he can make it. All right. Uh, Now, kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, there is one question that we have from uh, Nats fans everywhere. We, uh, and I I think you know where we're going here with Roger Bernardino. There's there's a big consensus (laughs) that, yes, between the shark and speed (laughs) racer. Let's hear your case for Speed Racer. Well, here's how here's how this started. We were in San Francisco last year, and and my thing was, why are you calling him the Shark? First of all, look, I respect Roger Berendina. Roger Berendina knows this. But he does not put up Shark numbers, okay? It's not like he's putting up Albert Pujols numbers. 
what I can call him the shark. When I think of the shark, this is a guy who's going to have for power, driving a lot of runs, but he hasn't done that. Um, you know, we've seen him in, you know, his share of slumps. And the reason I call him Speed Racer is because of the way he runs the bases. I mean, you know, once the ball hits the gap, it's almost a given that he'll have a triple of the way he runs. And that's the reason I call him Speed Racer. Now, I have a deal with Roger Bernardino that I had last summer that if he hits 300, that I'll stop calling him Speed Racer and I'll call him the Shark. So that's the deal I've had with him. He doesn't mind me calling him Speed Racer. It seems like the fans have a, have a problem with it, but uh, what can I say? <laughs> you can't make everybody happy, right? No, 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 no. I actually enjoy the... Um, the take I had with the fans on Twitter, because excuse me, I mean obviously they um, they they can't stand it. So, you know what can I say? Well, uh, switching back to baseball matters. Uh, yeah. The, the, the pitching for the Nationals has looked pretty good, and there is you know the fifth starter battle is one of the few position battles that the Nationals have, and Ross Detweiler today. Uh, from all reports, looked tremendous, and he had three perfect innings. Um, right. Between between him, Lannon, and Wong right now, uh, mm-hmm. where do you think they're all going to slot in? All right. You know, I'm really surprised this has become a story because it's not a story, and I'll tell you why. They didn't sign Chen Ming Wong to work out the work in the bullpen. He's the fifth starter right now. Now, if he gets hurt. You know, then there's a possibility to see Detweiler in there. No question. And as, But if the season started today, Detweiler would be the long reliever. And I've been saying it for weeks now, John Lamb's going to get traded before opening day. So, um, and John Lamb's a good guy. He really is. And uh, um, I think he'll be either traded for a position player or prospects, which I wrote yesterday. And um, that's the way it is. I just don't think there is a story there. I mean, the fifth star spot is going to be Chen Ming Wong's. Now, speaking of Wong, how is he coming along? I mean, aside from the, the simulated game he threw, we, we really haven't seen him so far this spring. He is, he is looking real good. Um, he, um, he's trying to create a curveball, which he was kind of hit uh, pretty good on it. But the, other than that, I thought he was outstanding. You'll see a chance um, to see him play Saturday against the Mets, so he'll probably get that chance. And he's healthy, um, and I expect him to have a big year uh, this year. All right, that's that's good to know. I'll actually have to turn in for that one. Um, all right, so uh, we actually had a, a question come in on Twitter here. <clears throat> uh, your guess is right now uh, on any September call-ups that we see. Um, well, I mentioned one earlier. I think um, Rui Perez will get a, a call up. Um, I think uh, wouldn't surprise me if Matt Perk did well. If he would get a call, it would not surprise me there. Anthony Rendon, um, I think that's a long shot, but it depends on how well he plays defensively and offensively. Also, um, you know, I'm sure you want to know about Bryce Harper, right? I think it's 50-50 it's that uh, he makes the opening day roster. I think if Davey Johnson had his way, he would be the opening day guy no matter what. But, you know, Harper has 
a lot to prove. I mean, so far hitting wise, he's been he's been doing well. Um, but he has to show that he he can hit the cutoff man, that he can run the bases pretty well. You know, as you know, he was uh, caught off third, uh, second I should say, um, mm-hmm. the other day against the Braves. So I mean, he's going to have to improve in those areas and hit lefty pitching pretty good. All right. Uh, actually, I have two questions off of that response. Uh, first off, uh, we know uh, we know first cuts are coming this week. Uh, how long do you do you expect uh, Perk and Rendon and uh, those type of guys to to be sticking around big league camp? Um, you know, I expect them to be one of the early ones. I mean, uh, because they're not going to make the team, sure. and uh, and I expect them to probably be in minor league camp by next week. Um, if not. It'll be a surprise to me because I think it's pretty obvious that to everyone they're not making it. So um, I'm expecting them to be gone by next week. And then um, the the second question here with Harper, I, I mean it's it's been fairly well documented. I mean you even just said a just a second ago that Davey would prefer to have him as his uh, you know the starting right fielder, but. W- do you do you see them actually starting him with the team, or do you see him more? I mean, if we hold him out for 21 days, we we delay his his free agency for a year. Right. Um, which way do you do you see Rizzo going? You know, um, I again, I think it depends on how well Harper does um, in spring training. Um, right now, I'm predicting that he's going to be on that opening day roster only because. He's off to a good start hitting-wise. And uh, as you know, he's going to miss a few games now because of the calf injury. But if he continues to play the game well, he'll, he'll be there towards the end of camp. Um, I think he'll be the opening day. I, I, this is just my opinion. I respect Rick Ankiel. I respect um, Roger Bernardina. But right now, I have to say that uh, Bryce Harper, to me, is the best option. I think having a platoon between, um, you know, Mark DeRosa or even, uh, you know, Rick Ankiel, or it doesn't matter. I just think that Bryce Harper right now is the better option. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I had a question about, you know, we saw last year, the last game of the season, the Nationals were very emotional. It was like they just didn't want to get off the field. They didn't want to leave each other. And then they all showed up early to spring training. Does this team have that good of chemistry and does that matter? Um, you know, I think it does matter. Um, but then again, the bottom line is you got to start winning. And, um, I think they have that talent to win. I think they realize that the talent is there now compared to other years. I mean, by far, since the team moved to Washington, this is by far the most talented team I've seen probably since 2003, uh, my first year covering the Expos. So um, I, I think uh, the chemistry and them being in spring training early is a loud message that um, they're ready to win and they know the talent that they have. Now, I do have to ask, with the with the being in spring training early, um, granted they, they want to be there. I mean, I heard that Desmond and uh, Bernardino were, were two of the first position players to, to get there. Um, obviously, they want to start making their their case and uh, improving their trade as to to how they ended their seasons. But um, 
has it become more of a more of a if you're not early you're late kind of thing uh, across the majors as a whole no 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 i don't think so um you know it's funny you asked this because you know derosa was one of the, the last people to show up and he reported like two days before the position players were supposed to report mm-hmm. and he jokingly said that he was late but he wasn't late so it's not it's really not that big of a deal um I just think that it's a good sign, though, from the national standpoint, that uh, you talk to every one of them, they really are excited to start this season. They really believe that they can win the division. I mean, they're really not thinking wild card. I mean, they really think about winning the division. Excellent. I have one thing I've noticed uh, this spring training. It's been about – it's been five games. And I remember in years past, they would stretch out the starting pitchers a little slowly. They go one inning, two innings, you know, eventually, even at the beginning of the season, they weren't fully stretched out. But, you know, we've seen, you know, three innings for most of the starters. And I think Edwin Jackson pitched four innings today. Correct. Uh, So is that Davies doing or are the pitchers just better talent? I think it's a combination of both. I think uh, Davey Johnson and Steve McCaddy, to me, one of the most underrated pitching coaches. I think he prepared them early, before they even came to camp. Hey, this is how we're going to do things. And I think they really accepted it. I mean, Steven Strasburg mentioned on Sunday that uh, before they were slowly preparing, as you mentioned, uh, for the season. Now, it seems like everyone is ready to go more than, uh, you know, three innings, now four innings. And even Strasburg tomorrow is going to pitch like 60 pitches, I think. So that's a good sign. Yeah, I, it's definitely encouraging to hear. I mean, even when uh, just watching uh, from home the last couple of years, when you would see guys come out, it would look like they were either gassed or they were just you know, they were ready to come out. And it's it's good to hear that these guys are uh, they're raring to go, that they're ready to they want to do more than was already allotted for them. I agree. I think part of that problem from years past was because of the talent they have um, they had back then and. The talent they had back then really doesn't compare to what they have now. I mean, for the first time since I covered this team, even back in Montreal, I mean, they are overloaded with pitching. I never thought I would ever say that, but they are. I mean, that's why they they were able to trade the Tom Malones and the Brad Peacocks of the world, because they have pitching available in the minor leagues. So that's a good sign. All right, Bill, one last question before we let you go. What will be the final record of the 2012 Washington Nationals? Well, uh, I I made this prediction before, and I'm not going to change now until further notice. 85 wins. Um, And the reason uh, I picked 85 was because, primarily because of their pitching staff. I mean, their pitching staff starters and relievers are awesome. I mean, it's, it's way above average. Um, the downfall right now, you have to say, is the offense because Ian Desmond's going to have to improve at the top spot. Danny Espinosa has to stop striking out. Obviously, Jason Worth is going to have to improve. I mean, let's be honest here. And uh, Ryan Zimmerman has to be healthy. Uh, Adam LaRoche has to be healthy. So there are a lot of question marks there. And, you know, will those question marks be answered? It's hard to say. I mean, we got to wait until the season starts. 
I, I really like that prediction. I mean, I I myself went 86, but I mean, you get into that range, and that's that's right about the point that if uh, a couple of games go your way that maybe they shouldn't have, but they did, you're right in that hunt. Yes, um, no question, and you have the extra wild card uh, in place. Um, but you know, I mean, the big test will come. Uh, you know, the way I look at it right now, the Nationals should start the season six and zero. Um, because they play the Cubs and they play the Mets afterwards. The big test will come when they play teams like the, you know, the Phillies and Braves, and we'll find out if the Nationals are for real. All right. Well, uh, Bill, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for uh, giving us a couple minutes of your time, and uh, hopefully we can have you on later in the season as uh, we uh, we get going. Sure, anytime. You guys take care. All right. Thanks a lot. You got it. All right, uh, that was Bill Ladson, and uh, well, I mean, some good stuff there. That was uh, some insightful stuff. It's you know, we have our perspective here. I mean, looking at, I mean, the games are played when we're at work. I, I don't know, I can't really watch the games during the day, uh, and I mean, all it is is dots on a computer that are slowly updated at yeah. this point in time. So it's hard to tell what's going on down there, and getting an insider's perspective is is always uh useful yeah i mean you you can't substitute for being down there and being uh, being in it all the time well uh we are going to take another two minute break and we will be right back Nat sound And welcome back, Nats Town. <clears throat> well, uh, we're going to ask the Nats fans, the citizens of Nats Town, to call in at 347-205-9638. Uh, it's, again, 347-205-9638. Uh, we'd like to take your calls now, see what you want to talk about, and uh, what you want to talk with us about, and because, you know, I think what we should talk about right now is center fielders out there. It looks like Mark Trumbo is a, able to play third base. So the Angels might no, no longer be a good trade partner. Well, I don't – I really don't see – Ladson brought up Lannon was uh, is going to be traded. And, uh, I mean, frankly, I agree. I, I don't see him. He's not going to start in AAA. He's not an effective guy out of the bullpen pitching, what, 91 tops, 92? Yeah. yeah. So he's not going to be a guy that you bring in for fire out of the bullpen. So he's obviously going to move somewhere, and I think what's going to end up happening is that we're going to end up moving him for prospects. We don't – if we could find someone who wanted to just hand over a center fielder, fantastic. But we're not going to find that. Center fielders are enough of a commodity, or center fielders that can a play center field and b be marginal with a bat are commodities. Yeah, that, that's a rare commodity, and you know uh, the Angels have a crowded outfield, even without Trumbo being added to it. But they have, you know, they'll have the most expensive fourth outfielder in baseball in Vernon Wells, but they'll still have, you know, they'll have. Trout, Hunter, and, and Borges as their outfield. 
And do they really need Lannon? I mean, they got right now their fifth starter is Jerome Williams. So maybe they do, but you know, Jerome Williams looked pretty good last year. And that that pitching staff, the top four of of Jared Weaver, um, CJ Wilson, Irvin Santana, and Dan Heron. What did I put Dan Heron fourth? But um <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's who they are. I was just naming names. I don't know order intended there, except for Jerry Weaver is one. Uh, but, you know, do they really need Lannon? I mean, Lannon's not exactly an irreplaceable guy. I think a team like the Angels can find a guy or piece together the fifth starter in their rotation. It's teams that need pitching really need it just to survive season are the teams you'd look for a team like the Orioles where it just they're not going to make it through the entire season with the pitching they have right now the Astros we, we brought up uh Forge Watt earlier yes I mean granted that's not really where we want to go but right I'd much rather have Adam Jones than Watt but I don't think Lennon's not going to net him I, I don't and even if the Nationals were to give up Zimmerman, Harper, Rendon, and Strasburg I don't think Peter Angelos would let the face of his franchise come to Washington. No, purely out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what would happen. It's purely out of spite. He would turn down a a world-ending deal just to just to do it. That but uh, a type of move I would put. I had heard rumors the Nationals talk to the or the Tigers talk to the Nationals about Lannon. and the Tigers' rotation is a little iffy. They got. Doug Fister, and they of course they have Verlander, but Purcello is still a bit of an unknown, and uh, the guy from Arizona, Max Scherzer, Scherzer, still a bit of an unknown. If if those two guys, Purcello and Scherzer, can live up to their potential, that is a very good rotation. But if they don't, that's a rotation that could struggle after after those top two, and even Fister's a bit of a Unproven guy. The the biggest thing you have to look at is, uh, on paper, they would fit. Um, I actually have to disagree. The Tigers would be awful for Landon. Uh, they could use He's the got guy. an AL pitcher. <laughs> well, not only that, but their infield defense is going to be awful. So the it double is. plays <laughs> that he relies on to remain viable are going to go out the window if he went to Detroit. Uh, yeah, I, I agree there. And, well, their outfield defense isn't too good either. <laughs> With Delman Young out there. And oh, God. Their, their defense is, is – Brennan Bosch is no wizard by himself. Yeah, their defense is pretty bad. So giving up Austin Jackson for – I mean, Austin Jackson struggled last year. I mean, you know, but giving him up, a guy that can really run it down out there, when you don't have a lot of guys that can run it down, that's that's asking a lot of a team that really has no competition in that division, uh, the first time they're going to take face competition is in the playoffs. And, you know, other trading partners, it's going to have to be something like the Cameron Maven deal last year, where it's a guy that a team has given up on. They had him, and they just say, this guy's not a major leaguer. And I really can't think of any center fielders out there that fit that criteria where a team is just – gotten frustrated with them and said, we're done. I would, I'd have to go look. I mean, the closest thing you could probably come to is Schaefer last year. Um, 
you know, this is not a fit because you don't want to trade within the division. Mm-hmm. But the Florida Marlins with Chris Coughlin, he won Rookie of the Year. That's true. They and are then, trying to put Brian Peterson in yeah. center, aren't they? Yes, and then Chris Coughlin has really struggled the last couple of years. He has struggled tremendously, and I don't think you want to trade within the division now. And, you know, the Marlins are fairly deep in their rotation as well. So, Landon, it's just pitching around the majors is is deep. It's fairly deep. It's tough to find a team that, A, has a center fielder they can give up, and, B, needs a guy like Landon. Which is, I think, what we're what we're going to end up with is that it's going to be prospects. Is that we don't need to look at the center field market. That whether we go for a free agent next year or if we look at the trade deadline and see who has who has utterly flopped this year and you know is looking to ship off parts, the it's going to come down to the fact that we're getting it. We're not going to do a center fielder for Land. Right. I, I just unless it's something that just comes out of left field, which you know, Rizzo's done that before. True story. I we 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 you know no one thought we could end up with Wilson Ramos for Matt Cass, but it happened. It did happen. I won't lie, I didn't know who Wilson Ramos was before that. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh let's keep that between us. <laughs> so you never know, maybe maybe the Rockies who have collected Pitch to contact ground ball guys this season. Call up and say, "Here's Dexter Fowler for John Lannon." I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I he clicked as soon as you said the Rockies. Good. I mean, but do they really need 20 guys that are basically the same pitcher and Jamie Moyer? Oh, that's right. They do have Jamie Moyer. Mm. They traded for Kevin Slowey. Uh, they. Traded for a couple guys from the A's that are pitch-to-contact guys. Uh, they're just a rotation of um, pitch-to-contact and, well, a couple prospects like uh, Matt White and um, Drew Pomeranz. Yeah, well, they did pull. They did pull good stuff for uh the ball right there. There you go. Thank yeah. you. At least uh, that's his yeah, current got, name. Yeah, they got to uh, – <laughs> top prospects for him. But back to back to the Nationals. I Landon's getting moved, but uh, you heard it here first, Nats fans. It's going to be for prospects. It's not it's not going to be for uh don't expect the the big time, you know, blockbuster. I mean, first off, it, we're trading what amounts to a, a fifth starter. Here's now. something that would be ironic. Um the one team that John Landon can never beat, the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, they have, well, they had four aces last year. Oswald's gone. And they still look to have a fairly solid rotation with um, with Vance Worley, Joe Blanton, and Kyle Kendrick is their sixth starter right now. Um, but they could use uh, insurance for Blanton there. And Landon could provide them that insurance. And they have the failed prospect that they've given up on. And Dominic Brown. They probably can't play center field, but he fits that mold of the guy a team's given up on. Not to go on to a, a tangent here for a second, playing first base for them. 
well, he's Ryan. looking to fill in for Ryan Howard. Well, yeah, like, I find that because John Mayberry Jr. is was a first baseman in the minors, mm-hmm. so he should be the guy that goes to first. But they're gonna put Tomei there probably. Yeah, a throwback. Yeah. But we have uh, we have managed to get off the rails. So, um, Ladson said that Rendon, Perk were were. Uh, probably going to be some of the some of the first guys, and I, I kind of figured that was coming. Um, do they do they go to do they go to high A? I think that's where they're going to start. Okay. High A, and how they play is going to determine how long they stay. One of my pet peeves in baseball is when people say when a prospect's ready or not ready, and hey, this guy's. You know, people might look at your Perez and say, he's 21, he's he's probably going to come over, he's 24, he's three years away. No, he's he's two months of a hot streak from getting a call up to AAA. Then he's two more months of another hot streak from getting called up to the majors. So it could be as few as four months, or it could be as many as those three years. It's a range. Somewhere in that time period is the most likely time when he's going to come up. So Rindon and Perk starting at at high A, they'll stay there as long as they need to. If that's if that's ten days or two years, that's up to them. And let's be honest, the the Nats have not been shy about jumping from double A to the majors. They they haven't, and there's a lot of teams that that haven't. Uh, before we went on the air, we were talking about Yuri Perez, and we talked about Nick Markakis, who you know went straight from he did basically what Yuri Perez is doing, had a hot spring. Went to the majors, <laughs> and that's what happened with him. And you know, but the Orioles were in a much different situation than the Nationals are now. Uh, the Orioles just were direct of talent. Yeah, they they needed someone to get hyped around, and someone that had a hot spring that they could market and bring up. I'm not trying to take away from Mark Hakes. I, I think he's a, a fairly decent player, but. Um, I mean that's that's the circumstances they were in that led to to where he is. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they start there. Um, Perk has looked good. Where is he with the the shipping off of um, Peacock and Malone? Peacock and Malone and Cole. Right. So you've got those three gone. You've got Solis down. So basically, you have four off the list. Where is he in the pecking order of, you know, either either an injury to bring him up, not to, to increase the likelihood of us seeing him? Well, you know, there's some names that, that – Daniel Rosenbaum, I think, is one of going to be one of the first guys that you have to look at. He's basically this year's uh, Malone or Peacock. He's sort of that guy that, that – not – really on many prospects list, but, and he has his flaws. I think it's velocity is his issue like Malone, but he hits the strike zone consistently. And he's a guy that's right there on the cusp. And, you know, we have to remember, Uneski Maya doesn't have any option and he's not making this team. He's gone. Uneski Maya is, he's a complete sunk cost. That was a mistake. The Nationals made, they need to move past it, get back into the international market and forget that that ever happened. Well, um, 
I don't know that he's necessarily gone. I mean, we have to put him through waivers for him to go to AAA. You're right. No one's going to claim him. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he'll be at AAA. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, then you got a guy like Rosenbaum or Neston. And there's probably other names that I can't think of. I don't really have the whole system uh, memorized. But I think Perk, once he works his way into the double-A rotation, which I expect to happen this year, he'll probably be, depending on what his stats look like, he could be a guy They say, you know, this is the future. He's here. Now, to play devil's advocate on the same thing, I am a – I'm a huge Perk fan. I want to see the kids do well. Do we make the same mistake that we made with Detweiler? No, you don't. The mistake with Detweiler was that stupid one inning he pitched in that year. Because he still have an option left if he didn't pitch that one inning. And I don't think that was needed to sign him. Just Bowden, at times, Caston praised Bowden for being creative. But Bowden was too creative. He was trying to hit a home run with every move he made. Every move he made was high risk, high reward. He never had a move that was just, you know, this guy's going to be solid, nothing spectacular, but he'll be a good middle of the roster guy. I mean, uh, the the move that brought Felipe and Kearns over. And at the time, it looked like a great move. Yeah. Those both, I mean, if you look at Kearns' rookie year, he was he slugged 500. He was fantastic, but then he just something happened to the guy, and I don't know what it was. I just remember the picture of when those two were traded. They looked like someone had run over their dog, and backed over it, and then tied it to a chain and drug it behind the car. They did not look happy to be Washington Nationals. And that's not really what you want to happen when you trade for somebody. No, I, it's definitely not. I, I mean. I I loved Kearns. He was a great guy. I wanted to see him do well, but I mean, you're right. Uh, Bowden, everything that we thought was right about that just wasn't quite there. Any most of his moves were just almost there, and then not like Elijah Dukes. If he works out, he'll be great. Oh, but God, don't get if me started. If he doesn't, well, we saw what happens if he doesn't. Nook Logan works out. He could be great. Nope. Willie Mopena. You go on and on with Bowden moves. Can I go ahead and make a confession that I have a signed Elijah Dukes jersey sitting in my closet about 30 feet from us right now? <laughs> well, that's interesting. <laughs> so just uh, just to get that out there. Um, I have a signed Mike O'Connor hat. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that compares to Elijah Dukes. Well, not after his most recent arrest, but <laughs> lest we digress. Um, so, Perk could be that guy. We we also, I mean, granted, the the mistake with Detweiler was the fact that he came up the year that he was drafted right. and screwed an option. So, bringing uh, Perk up this year wouldn't be the same thing. But we also don't want to we don't want to rush it and and uh, more or less cause a detriment to ourselves down the line should we come into the same problem that we have now. I, I do think that that is, you know, if he's ready, if he's really ready, and it's, you know, I don't think for a short-term injury, like if Edwin Jackson has 
you know, shoulder tightness and is going to be out for uh, just miss one start. You're not going to bring him up. You're going to bring up a guy to spot start. Are you going to use Detweiler or Gorzolani, whoever's the six-starter oh, swingman? over Gorzolani. I think oh. that's what's going to happen. But, you know, at, at this point, we don't know, so we have to speak in all possibilities still being possible. Now, um, so I would put him in the same camp. I I mean, granted, he's a far better talent. Uh, let me preface this. I really like Colin Ballister. He's a great guy, but he's not in the same league as Matt Pert. So <laughs> when he was a top prospect of the Nationals organization, they didn't have any prospects. But what, the the point that I was going to is just like when we when we were talking about Colin Ballister, uh, what was it 2007? I believe yeah. when he was coming up, and the the company line was he's not coming up unless he's staying. Right. I think that's I think that's the same thing that Perk falls into. I don't know if that because you look at the Nationals right now, and you look at that rotation, and you're going to have the top three are going to be around for a while now. So it's those bottom two slots that you're looking at, and that you know, in two years this rotation could could be. Steven Strasburg, Jordan Zimmerman, Gio Gonzalez, Alex Meyer, and Matt Perk. And if all those guys live up to their potential, that that's a historically good rotation right there. That is a tremendous rotation. And then you got guys like Robbie Ray that might be on the outside looking in, might be able to trade for prospects. And, you know, people are always saying – where do you see Anthony Rendon playing? And I said, I'd honestly like to see Anthony Rendon playing third base for the Seattle Mariners. And Robbie Ray can pitch for him. And, and we'll take Felix Hernandez. <laughs> those are those are good. I I, I mean, granted, I, I wouldn't complain about you know Felix coming here, but that that would be the the coup of the century. It would be. I mean, because you know, I don't think the Seattle Mariners are going to re-sign him, and the Yankees want him. And normally, when the Yankees want something, the Yankees get it, regardless. I mean, it took them how long did it take them to trade for Randy Johnson? They were trying to trade for Randy Johnson for ten years. Well, um, of course, maybe Randy Johnson. We could be the Diamondbacks of Randy Johnson's career for Felix Hernandez. Which I'd be happy with, which puts us with a ring and him going and punching, uh, you know, Cameraman. So <laughs> that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> but um, all right, so that's Perk, uh, Rendon. Uh, he's gonna play at third. The the question I have right now is, obviously he's a guy who's on a who's on a fast track to the majors. Regardless of where we put him, he's his bat's more or less there as long as. Uh, again, preaching caution, Nats fans, he hasn't actually taken a professional at bat yet, so let's see how he does in you know high A or double A first. But assuming that the scouting reports and everything are correct, his bat is ready, that they're you know they need to make sure the glove is there wherever he's playing. Do we play him at third? Or do we play him in another position, anticipating that he'll be up in 12 to 18 months? I think you play him at third until the bat is ready. And you maybe even leave him there. And, you know, it's tough to say learn a new position at the majors. But guys have had to do it before. 
And with the way the Nationals are, if if everything, you know, the Nationals right now, if everything goes right, the only open spot is going to be center field. That's it, you know. And I don't think that's a spot for Anthony Rizzo. It's not. I mean, first base will come open in a couple of years. Uh, but, you know, if then, Desmond and Espinosa both improve to a degree where they are average major league players, and Espinosa is already there. All he has to do is stay there. But if Rendon looks like a superstar, you could see something happen that happened in Pittsburgh with uh, Nate McLeod when they had Andrew McCutcheon on the way, who was going to be an absolute superstar. If you have a guy that's going to be a superstar and he's blocked by a guy that's a good player, you trade the good player. It's going to make people mad. People are going to go, here's the Nationals being the same old cheap Nationals again, trading, you know, Trading Espinosa or trading Desmond for to bring up some kid who's never had a major league at bat. I mean, you hear that? We heard it last year with Jerry Hairston Jr. I mean, that's a guy you shouldn't hear it about, but you and did. A guy who wanted to get out of D.C., but that's neither here nor there. Right. Continue. If you know when Nate McLeod was traded from the Pirates, now the Nationals aren't the Pirates uh, yet, anyway. Uh, but you know, and with the Zimmerman contract, it doesn't look like they're gonna be the Pirates or the Royals. They look to be on a different path. But, you know, if Rendon looks like he's going to be a future batting champ, you know, if he has the power, if he has the on-base skills, if he has everything is there, then you trade who's ever blocking him, as long as it's not Ryan Zimmerman. Now, I agree with you. I I think that's a very solid point, whether it's Desmond or Espinosa or... uh, Whoever it is in whatever spot, I I think you're completely right. Now, a thought that crossed my mind, not to try and come across as a super homer or anything like that, the the situation that we've come into with drafting several years in the top, you know, five or six at most, um, or at excuse me, at worst, the top five or six. I really was going to be confused this year. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, what's it? It's 15, 16? Yeah. Well, I think we're 16. I think we're just outside the... Oh, 16. Yeah, the, the good spot. Yeah. But, um, so with several years, we're starting to come to fruition. We've had, we have a team of young guys. Uh, I almost, I mean, it's really optimistic to always say, you know, oh, I see us as, you know, we're the next raise, and I don't... I'm not saying that we're going to go to the postseason two out of the next three years. I'm not saying that we're going to be the top of the the NL or anything like that. But what I'm, as a general overarching theme, I think we're very close to what the Rays were doing, except we can pay for our guys. Well, Rizzo is, if you read the extra 2%, fantastic. Rizzo is following that formula, Mm -hmm. just with, you know, He's trying to prevent runs. The Nationals are built around run prevention. That's how they're built. They have the pitching staff. They have the defense. They just don't have the offense. But in baseball, you can find offense from surprising sources. That happens. That happens every year. It's just much more rare that you find pitching or defense from a surprising source. You know, like, like a journeyman out in 
San Francisco last year. What was his? Aubrey Huff? No, not the, not the pitcher. Uh, starter reliever. Starter. I have baseball reference, so we should probably talk about something else <laughs> while I look it up so I don't sound like a complete moron here. Uh, but, you we know. Need some plug music is what we need. Oh, we do. We need something. Searching now. for statistics music. Yeah. Uh, the Jeopardy theme or something. <laughs> uh, so, um, now that happened. And, you know, the year before that, you had Colby Lewis who came over from Japan. That, that is two guys in two years. But if you look at journeymen who suddenly have a great season, there's probably at least one on every team. Just like Lance Dix last year for the Nationals. Well, had a the great Nationals season. have tried it every year since, I mean, at least since I've been following the Nationals, which has been 2005. Ryan Vogelsong. Ah, uh, song. Yes, that's who I was. Um, but we've tried it every year. We've brought in as many uh, – spring training invitees as we can to find that guy. We've pulled as many pieces off the scrap heap as are physically possible. Well, here's the thing. Nationals don't need a guy to surprise. They really need – their offense can be good. If two players – you know, if you just type in Lance with a Y, Lance Nix automatically comes up. I forgot his last, to type in his last name, and I just typed Lance with a Y, and his name came up. All right, but back to they need two guys to um, to really be themselves. Actually, maybe three compared to last year, because Ryan Zimmerman wasn't himself last year. He was hurt most of the season. Jason Worth obviously struggled, and Adam LaRoche played the month of April, and he hit one something. And as much as people are, are giving LaRoche a hard time and everything else that goes on, uh, the guy, aside from last year, is extremely consistent. Now, here's Lance Nix. I said last year was a good year for him, and he helped the Nationals' offense. This might tell you how bad the Nationals' offense was last year. He had an OPS of 750. From a corner outfielder. How many games? That's not good. Does it uh, game started? Uh, game started. I have games played in one twenty four. Played appearances is three fifty one. So we played just over half a season. Yes. Okay. And he basically was platooning with Morris in the beginning of the year and Johnny Gomes mm-hmm. later part of the year. Uh, but we look up Adam Roche and keep that seven fifty number in mind. We look up Adam LaRoche here, and Adam LaRoche's career OPS is 815, which is, you know, believe it or not, higher than 750. So Adam LaRoche, if he's Adam LaRoche, is a better left-handed offensive bat than Lance Nix, and he should get, if he's healthy, double the number of plate appearances, and he's better defensively at first than Michael Morris. So uh, just to take this into account, we are uh, – you're saving runs. He's a better bat. I mean, obviously, the, the war is going to be higher. What's uh, – is war on? His projected war is uh, 1.5 because okay. of the first baseman. Sure. War is extremely mean to first baseman because it's based on – the defensive metrics are based on UZR. Yeah, and first uh, – UZR is really tough on first baseman. Yeah. Uh, it, it, 
War actually rates Ryan Howard last season and Ian Desmond last season the same. I think if you could have one of those two in your lineup, I know which one you're taking. And not to mention, I mean, I don't think Morse was terrible at first base, but you go and look at the metrics on it, and it was it's ugly. Yeah, it's brutal. And LaRoche is considered to be a very smooth, very good first baseman. If you think about what a first baseman is, there's the wingspan, not half their wingspan, not the full wingspan, but their glove hand, the length of their arm, from the bottom of the ground, as far up as it will reach, and then as far out as it will reach to each side of their body is the square area of where they should be able to feel the ball. And they should be able to stretch out, too, to feel the ball and get it on a hop. And there was an error in a spring training game made by – credited to Ian Desmond where if LaRoche was at first, he would have made the out because that ball was in that first baseman zone there of where they should catch a ball. And that's really what you need your first baseman to do is catch what's thrown his way, and you need him to be able to give the other infielders confidence to just wing it over there. I, I think that's also what's overlooked when we talk about LaRoche is we talk about fielding and we talk about uh, – and everybody, first thing they go to is fielding what's being hit at them. Right. It's not, not necessarily fielding what – you know, Desmond's winging over there or what Zim is deciding to loop over and, you know, when he's having one of the hitches in his throws, uh, that's that's also what he brings to the table. It is. It is. Um, so he does do a lot at first base. It's just he's got to be able to be healthy, to get on the field, and to actually play first base for the Washington Nationals. Yeah, I, we we need him to get past his ankle and really see what he can bring this spring. Jason's worst problem, though, or much more, I don't know what his problem was last year. If it was a new location, if it was not having his videotapes, if it was uh, missing the uh, the the Phillies lineup around him. I don't know what it was, but. If he can go back to being even his career norms, not his Philly norms, but his career norms, because Jason Worth last year was just just not good, not good at all. He was, and it, I have to say, I I still have faith in the guy. I mean, granted, he's a hundred twenty-six million dollar player. He's not going anywhere. Um, if we look at last year. Just using OPS, because it adds slugging and then on-base percentage together. So it's rough enough. It was 7.18. His last year in Philly was 9.21. His career average are, is 8.24. If he can do that, 8.24, LaRoche can add with the 8.15, and Zimmerman can be Zimmerman. You're talking about a much improved offense right there from just three guys you already have that you're just asking them to be themselves. You're not asking him to have a career year. You're not asking him to do anything special. Just be who you are. Actually, speaking of speaking of this, I want to I want to go back to the math this week, and we'll we're going to bring this topic up next week as far as if Worth is at his norms, Laroche is at career averages, 
what that actually does for runs produced. I, I want to do that this week. But right now, what we're actually going to do is we're going to take a break. On the other side of it, we're going to be back with the injury expert, Will Carroll. We'll be right back next, fans. All right, Nats fans, we're back. We're going to get Will Carroll on the line. Hang tight. Will Carroll. Hey, Will, it's TJ from Citizens of Nats Town. Hey, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Doing good, man. Good. All right, well, uh, let's get this going. Uh, first off, awesome. Matt Perk, um, coming back from uh, shoulder soreness, uh, kind of not really sure what the entire deal was, but it did limit him last year. Uh, what what are what can we expect this year as far as uh, is that going to linger or is that kind of a thing of the past? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, Park was obviously uh, kind of screwed over by the draft process a couple of years ago. Uh, thought he had a deal with the Rangers, ended up not having a deal as they were heading into that long lingering bankruptcy process. Ended up going to college. And in the midst of that, uh, just as the draft was coming up, he came up with a sore shoulder. And while he got, he passed the physical for some teams, including the Nats, there is a lot of concern about the loss of velocity, how long he's going to stay up. It reminds me a lot of Tanner Shepers a couple of years ago. Uh, a lot of teams were looking at him, ended up passing on him. He's never quite been able to make it uh, with the Rangers yet, but he's still got some possibilities. Another guy who you hear comparisons to doesn't have nearly the stuff of a perk is uh, Tim Stoffer with the Padres. Uh, top draft pick, was ready to sign, and in the physical, uh, before he signed, they found uh, Taron Labrum. Was never quite the same pitcher, but he's a major league pitcher. I'm not sure if he'd get away with some of the things he does in Petco in many other places, but he has been a valid major league pitcher. So certainly the Nats have hope. If he's healthy, Perk certainly has some really good stuff. He's got some upside, and they got him on the cheap. So I can see why they made the deal. I can see why they picked him. Uh, certainly you know, one of those things where even if he doesn't sign, um, and they thought they had some leverage on him with the injury, uh, even if he doesn't sign, you, you walk away and say, yeah, it was worth a shot. So this is one of those risk and reward things. It could go either way. Uh, hopefully the Nationals have gotten a little bit better at preventing injuries and maintaining them than they were over the last couple seasons. Now, uh, still with Perk here, uh, his velocity over the past couple of, granted it's just it's two spring training games that he's been in, has been right about 91-92. Is that a positive sign yeah. that his velocity is a little bit higher? No, <laughs> no, he was an upper 90s guy. And, and there, there's always questions anytime, especially with high school pitchers. Um, another Rangers prospect that never quite made is Blake Bavan. Uh, he came out of high school throwing in the high 90s, uh, shows up for his first spring training and looking more like Jamie Moyer in the mid 80s. Now mm. he's gotten back up to the low 90s uh, and traded to the Mariners organization. But you see a lot of these guys that, you know, if you're pitching once a week, if you're p- pitching 10, 15 games a year, even Sunbelt guys who are playing for showcase games and playing on travel teams, they're not going to pitch more than 30, 40 times. And it's a, a much different situation than it is getting in a major league rotation, going through all the work, going through the long season, the eight to nine months of throwing that you have to go through. And so for him to be down in the low 90s, the question is, can he adjust? Can he become a real pitcher? Or was he a guy who was a fastball guy? And, and I think it's a little of both. You know, um, Just coming out of college, I think it probably served him well to have gone to college 
But then again, you know, if he's never able to make it to the major leagues, uh, that bonus check is all he's probably ever going to see. Again, super high risk, super high reward with him. Sure. Now, he also had, uh, again, stick with Perk, um, he also let the Nats do kind of invasive tests. How common is that with draft picks? Very uncommon. Uh, A lot of times you don't even have a physical or or medical information besides what you can collect. Um, It's gotten a little more, and and certainly his was a known quantity. There have been a couple pitchers over the last couple of years that have come into the draft with known injuries. Um, You know, Perk was one. Kyle Gibson uh, came in as probably a top 10 draft pick out of the University of Missouri uh, and had some kind of elbow injury. Uh, I, I can't remember the specifics of it, but they, it was very worrisome. I think it was a stress reaction, and they were worried about it. So a lot of teams were like, no way, not touching that. He's going to end up with elbow surgery. And he came back, pitched pretty well, and what do you know, a year later, he needed elbow surgery. He's uh, sure. recovering from Tommy John now. So that's the worry. You know, you, When you come in as essentially damaged goods, and you're trying to convince teams, hey, give me a couple million dollars because I'm fine. Uh, I'll get better. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to be like the, the old guy in, in uh, Monty Python where you're like, no, oh, no, I feel much better. Um, <laughs> you, you, when you do that, when, when you are letting teams in, when you are showing off the MRIs, when you do let them do the more invasive and more hands-on testing – you, you're usually trying to convince them that you're okay. Uh, it, it's it's seldom because you just feel happy and feel like having another MRI this week. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the Nationals do have, you mentioned Tommy John surgery, and they have a couple pitchers in their current rotation that have had a it. A couple? <laughs> <laughs> Sammy Solis, who now needs it. I mean, should they go out and get uh, Colonel Steve Austin to be the manager? <laughs> Maybe they should start with with uh, you know a, a medical program and, and somebody who's working on a preventive standpoint. Now, I'm not saying Lee Koontz isn't a good guy and well qualified and hardworking, but that team, bottom to top, has had terrible results. Now, part mm-hmm. of that was what they inherited, and part of that, at least for a few years, was terrible facilities at RFK. Well, guess what? You don't have any of those excuses anymore. Nationals Park is world class. They've got everything they need and then some. They've got a medical budget that's at least the equivalent of most teams. They've they've certainly got money to spend on players, uh, and they've had some risky ones that they've acquired. So with all of this, to see them and look at their medical record, you do have to kind of step back and say, really, what are you doing? They have not focused very much on prevention. They haven't done anything very innovative. They haven't done anything very progressive. And they've they've sort of gone with that twins philosophy, um, where it's okay. We've got more pitchers. Uh, we've got ten more coming in the minor leagues, and if we break one, well, we'll just send them to Dr. Andrews, and we'll get them back in a year. And I, I don't think that's the intent that, that the Nationals have. They've just been a little bit unlucky and a little bit reactive rather than proactive. I think they could do a lot more. I I couldn't agree with you more. There, it seemed like. Uh throughout their entire tenure of being uh, an organization here in Washington, that all that seems to happen is we, we get a report of, I mean, even Zimmerman last year, oh, he's just got an ab strain. Oh, it's it's not a big deal. He'll be back in a couple of days. And then it turns out he needs surgery and he's gone for six to eight weeks. 
it, it seems like we've done that the entire time, and I, I couldn't agree more that we could, uh, we yeah, could use more preventative. Yeah, so, some of the – yeah, some of those, you know, with Zimmerman, he he tried to come back and he ended up hurting himself worse. There's not much a medical staff can do to prevent that. You know, sure. with a guy like Strasburg, who had a traumatic tear of his UCL, it, it was really one pitch. Uh, the, the worry all along was he threw so hard that, you know, eventually, if anything went wrong, it was going to go really, really wrong. And that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, a guy like Zimmerman, uh, Jordan Zimmerman, not Ryan, uh, was much more of the classic insidious onset. Eventually, the the ligament weakened so much they had to go in and do that. Now, those are the kind of things, if you can't prevent completely, you can at least slow it down and reduce the sheer numbers that you have. So, um, yeah, th- there is more that I think they can do, and I think getting that organization, getting a lot of organizations, I don't want to single out the Nats here. You know, I could say this about 27 teams. Um, it, just getting on the same page, getting a little more preventative, you know, doing something as simple as, hey, hire one more trainer. <laughs> you know, these <laughs> trainers don't make a ton of money compared to the players, uh, and you've got two, maybe three guys that have to take care of the team, make sure all the, the rehab work is done, make sure all the, all the things they have to do to get a pitcher ready for the day, who do they have to tape, who needs a rub down, who needs to be doing this modality or that modality. One more guy. I don't know why any team, why every team doesn't do it. You know, some things that baseball does just strike me as unbelievably stupid. You know how many organizations have a strength coach at every level? How many? One. Who's One. That? Uh, it, it's the Milwaukee Brewers. And there have been a couple teams that have talked about it. But most of the time they have a roving strength coach. You're taking these kids that we're paying, you know, in some cases, millions of dollars to. And we're sending them to Boise to start their career, and you know they they don't know how to take care of themselves. These are very literally kids, and you know they don't have much dietary support, so they're eating you know combos and diet coke. Uh, they're happy about their per diem, and they tend to spend it on McDonald's and, and beer. Um, you know, the lack of support medically and uh, nutritionally just stuns me every time I read about things, and especially for the Latin kids coming over. Uh, you know, these kids, for the most part, I mean, especially when you see them, they're 16, 17, you see them in camp, you're like, holy cow, these kids are skinny. And you see scouting reports on guys like Sammy Sosa or Juan Gonzalez or even Vladimir Guerrero, um, and, and you see these guys, it's like 6'2", 140. They're like, and they're they're always talking. The scouting reports are amazing. What scouts can do is just stunning because I can remember reading one on Sammy Sosa. They're like, he can fill out. He'll have 30 home run power. And when you're looking at this kid, even at the point where he first came up with Texas, you're like, wow, I want to give this kid a sandwich. Uh, (laughs) he, 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 He looks like a speedster, not a slugger. And yet scouts, they squint a little bit, uh, tip their cap down over their eyes, and boom, they see a 30-home run guy. And, and darned if he wasn't. Uh, and they're right more often than they're wrong. But you know, when, when it comes back to the medical standpoint, from the nutritional standpoint, just a support standpoint, there, there's so little that we do. We're talking about you know, these kids not only growing and, and filling out, uh, we're talking about you know working out and learning how to play baseball at a high level, and yet you know most of the time it's uh, one trainer, one manager, uh, part-time doctor who shows up you know when somebody gets hurt, 
it's just it's a poor situation and stuns me every time I I, I see it. That's that's actually crazy to to hear that. Uh, wow. Uh, back to the Nationals now. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman last year, first year back from Tommy John surgery, he pitched about 160 innings. Mm-hmm. About what can the Nationals expect from him innings wise this year? Well, you know, the the research is is pretty vague. It's not like anybody's going to give us a control group and let us run them out there. Uh, Tom Verducci has done a lot of great work on on young pitchers, and really the simple rule of thumb is that you can go usually about 30 innings more a season. When you think about it, that's four or five starts. Um, you, know, you, you go out there for, for six or seven innings, and you're not extending yourself that much. Um, if you can get to 150 innings, uh, you, you're usually going to be a valid major league starter. If you get to 180 innings, you're going to be a good major league starter. And if you can get up over 210 innings, really the number that guys seem to hit a wall at is 190. Um, but if you get up to 210 innings, you're a star. And it's those 30-inning jumps that are really tough. So anytime you take a guy who is at 160 innings, and, and I'll come back to that in a second, you, you would want to see him at 180, 190. You wouldn't want to see him going too far beyond that. And if you kept him at you know 175, 180, uh, I, I don't think it'd be a bad thing. Tough part there is that you know this is a team that might well be competitive. If they're out of it in August or September, it's pretty easy to shut somebody down. It's pretty easy to bring up the next guy out of AAA and see what he can do. Um, but if you're in a pennant race, that's where it gets really tough. We saw this a couple of years ago with the Padres and Matt Latos. Uh, you know, the, the classic case is Jarrett Wright going deep into the playoffs with the Indians and then never really doing anything again. Uh, so you, you, there is a balance there. And if you do that, if you know you're going to have a guy who's going to run into a wall at 180, then you start having to think about, okay, do I have to get another pitcher and stash him at AAA? Do I, how do I get the best work out of him? And that brings me back to that 160 mark. That 160 mark is out of thin air. Uh, I've heard him use the same number with Strasburg. I'm like, you can't possibly think that Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman, uh, I mean, they're both pitchers, they're both in the same team, but you can't possibly think they're the same pitcher. This is not a one-size-fits-all thing. So, and it's even tougher at the 160 inning mark for a guy who's going to be the ace of the staff. How do you use him? Do you give him an extra day's rest here and there? Do you start him later in the season so that you can take him into September, assuming that it's going to be uh, meaningful games? Do you, you know, I, I was sitting there playing with the schedule the other day. I was like, what if you only pitched him at home and maximized ticket sales? Uh, would that work out? It turns out that's a little short. Um, you know, th- what if you only pitched him on Saturday? You know, and and that kind of worked out. Um, you know, there there are a lot of different ways to do this, but if you're putting an artificial limit that has absolutely nothing on on it scientifically, you're going to have to come up with something weird like that. Instead, why not measure when he's tired? The whole idea of pitch counts is to keep a pitcher from getting overly fatigued. But we've used it as this magic one-size-fits-all thing that every pitcher gets tired at 100, which isn't true. Greg Maddox, one of the best pitchers of this or any era, was pretty much done at 80, and he, he was happy to tell you about it. Then again, you guys have seen him a number of times, Levon Hernandez could probably go 180 pitches and not feel too bad the next day. <laughs> sure. It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. 
So the idea that we could take a one-size-fits-all inning count and get anything out of it is ridiculous, especially when you're not even going to be creative about it. <laughs> if the Nationals are in this thing and 160 innings comes up in early August for Steven Strasburg, I don't think Davey Johnson is going to like somebody saying, oops, your ace is done. I, I don't see him turning that over either. Uh, one more question before we let you go here, Will. Um, Anthony Rendon, uh, another one of the Nats uh, draft picks this past year, another uh, high – I don't know about high risk, but uh, high reward with He's some risky. risk attached to him. Um, uh, how's the – How's the shoulder looking for him? Was that was that an injury that could uh, recur or, you know, threaten him down the line at all? You know, there there was a lot of controversy about that. There were some teams that really backed off him. There were some teams that didn't think it was a big deal at all. Uh, the Nationals, again, this goes back to philosophy. Um, they have had no problems going out and saying, risky guy, like him. <laughs> you know, as, as if they don't have a red flag in their medical staff. And, you know, they get to the draft and they're just like, another injured guy. Let's bring him in, see what happens. And, and then we, we wonder and, and blame the medical staff when one of these guys turns up injured. But, it, you know, they've been collecting these kinds of risks for years now. Uh, with Rentone, very controversial situation. Um, he is certainly talented. Uh, it's certainly a known problem. And I much prefer known problems to unknown problems if you can control it. Now, a lot of people have compared Rendon's shoulder uh, to Aramis Ramirez, and, and certainly Aramis Ramirez has been a productive player for a number of years still. The Brewers went out and got him to try to replace some of the production from Prince Fielder this year, but he's got a, a shoulder that has a tendency to pop out of joint. Now, that's not the same problem as Rendon, but when you think about it, you have to do a couple things. If Rendon is your guy, if he's your third baseman, which isn't going to happen anytime soon or, or ever, in Washington, uh, I'm not even. Where are they playing him now? Uh, in the minors, they're saying they're going to play him at uh, third, but a lot of the common thought is that he's going to move over to second. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, wow. Um, that, that, I can kind of see. I've never heard anybody say, you know, he's. I've heard he's an adequate third baseman. I, I had uh, assumed he was going to either move to first base, where I, I wasn't sure his bat would carry it. And you have certainly some other options there. I, I just expected he would go to left field. Uh, second base would surprise me. It's certainly, you know, it's not the worst idea, especially if his, his bat can handle it. The, the Mariners did a great experiment with Dustin Ackley, and it worked out. We've seen um, not a similar transition, but Skip Schumacher has worked out well enough for St. Louis. Um, with Rendon, it, it's one of those situations where you just have to hope his shoulder holds together. And if you know, if he's 80% of Aramis Ramirez, if he has a problem now and again, if you can keep it maintained, again, you know, it's that risk and reward relationship. Uh, it, it's it's tough to turn away a guy who was a legitimately regularly talked about number one pick, number one overall, and gosh, he didn't fall too far, but just the idea that he would fall at all, uh, it, it was all on that shoulder. So, this is one, once again, uh, the Washington Nationals medical staff is either going to be the, the bane or the boon for, for the Nats and their hopes in the future. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on with us, Will. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. Bye. All right. All right. That, was, that was pretty informative. You know, I think a lot of people are surprised when you say a prospect is going to play 
a position where they're not going to be good defensively. And you look around the majors, though, and, you know, when you talk about second base, and you look at Rendon and what his bat projects to, you got to have to think Dan Ugly is a major league second baseman. He's not a good second baseman. But he's adequate there. He's, he's, He's adequate, but that's not really why he's in the field. He just sort of stands in the field so that he can come to the plate. Yeah, that's the spot that he I don't want to say that he hurts them the least because I mean he he provides some uh, modicum of value there but yeah it's it's where he hurts the team the least I think you know we're talking about Rendon and where his future lies it's gonna it's gonna project itself in the future it's just sort of one of those things that's gonna work itself out all right. Well, we are uh, we're running a little long here, so uh, we're gonna hit in some quick uh, final thoughts. Dave, you're up. Well, you know we're now five games into spring training. It's good to have baseball back. It's good to be able to talk about actual baseball games and stuff that's actually happening on the field, no matter how meaningless it is. But we always have to remember something with spring training. For guys like Brett Carroll, Tom Gorzolani. Ross Detweiler, Jason Michaels, and Roger Bernardina, it's the difference between a six-figure salary and a a five-figure salary. So that's how much spring training matters. All right, and uh, my final thought is uh, just a shameless plug for us here. Uh, Be sure to tune in next week. We will have an exclusive interview with – Chad Cordero, that's right, the chief, a former national, former closer, former beloved player. Be sure to tune in next week. Natstown, we will see you then.